0: beautiful soul. Have you ever wanted to speak to angels? Do you believe angels can support you in your daily life? If this is you, go to my website homepage, theangelmedium.com and sign up for my weekly angel message email. As a gift for signing up, I'm giving you access to free resources, including 31 healing meditations that if you do daily are going to help you hear your angels and your own intuition more clearly. Start using these today and you'll see changes in 31 days. Now, take a deep breath. Feel the presence of your angels as they fill you with love, joy, Peace, bliss, and ease. And remember, your angels say the messages that resonate with you in today's episode are meant just for you. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. And friends, you know that I read a lot. At times I'm reading up to two books a week. And I have to say that this is within my top three books that I have read all year. Um, We have on Acharya Shunya, and she is the author of Roar Like a Goddess, This book, we're we're gonna dive deep into this today because as she talks about goddess energy, it was really for me, the angels, um, the seraphim, archangel, Ariel really coming in, and I now see this bridge between angel and goddess energy that I did not realize, and I just want to make this one point too, before I even read your book. What the angels were saying is that in the angel membership that I run, we're going to do a new kind of theme each year. And they picked out the theme for 2023 to be a year of ease and self-love through embodiment. And then they said, and year 2024 is going to be the year of the goddess. It's going to be all about goddess energy. And then your book comes into my life and the angels are bringing in messages the entire time. And I'm seeing things in this completely different perspective. So Shunya, welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here. I feel blessed to be here and I feel the angel
1: energy and it's special. Yeah. OK,
0: so in order for people to kind of uh, that are listening to get on the same page with us, I want to read just a couple of excerpts from your prologue. You say the authority and dominance associated with the act of roaring are not typically associated with the human female on our patriarchy ruled planet today. Vocal expressions, generally attributed to womankind, usually fall into several categories. First, there is the, the submissive, soft, um, melodious, sing-song, wispy, out of breath, cute as hell, daddy's little princess voices. Next, there are the always questioning, never decisive voices, placating, and overly persuasive, begging and imploring. Can you help me i'm a damsel in distress then there are the nagging and whining voices how dare women enter male ta- territory the shrill strident, bossy bitchy voices and last but not least there are the come hither foxy sexy siren voices of course these voices are not the real fundamental representation of womankind. They have emerged from the internalization of a cluster of self-lessening beliefs collectively known as the patriarchy. What an introduction. Roaring like a goddess, you say, is us coming into ourselves, us embodying the essence of the goddesses of the angels. Talk to us a little bit about this. The goddess realm is
1: undeniable, just like the angel realm. It's really, it is really that divine feminine, divine absolute energy. And I don't think we were ever meant to feel alone unless we want to be alone on earth. There's always the angels and the goddesses that we can call upon. And the goddesses from the Vedic Hindu tradition that I represent are known as Durga, Lakshmi, and Saraswati. And I have now learned to call upon that Durga energy, that Durga goddess, when I'm feeling less small, when I'm habitually doubting myself because of the internalized false beliefs, when I need to shake all that negativity off and... Connect again with something viral and courageous, and even new inside me to walk a new path that nobody has ever walked before. And that takes that takes the unfolding of some new spiritual energy or explosion within us. And Durga is that kind of an angelic goddess force that is everywhere. It may be invisible. But it becomes very potent and visible within us when we start channeling with her energy, connecting with her archetype, um, and then not just like reading or listening to her wisdom, but like practicing it in our relationships or talking to our boss or putting a new boundary with your in-laws or, you know, just our everyday conversations, you could be Guided by this divine force. Saraswati is that angelic goddess power that represents your um, intuition, your wisdom, your inner mystic. And, 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 and you can put on your shades in the world and do your own thing because Saraswati is shown kind of lost in her own music as if she's tuned out the noises of society and noises even of our traumatic inner past, which says that you can believe in your present and you definitely cannot dream of a future. No, Saraswati allows us to tune in to a deeper dimension. And finally, Lakshmi is the name of that uh, divine energy, mystical force, power, divine feminine entity, who represents to us pleasure, prosperity, not just surviving but thriving playfulness sensuality inner permissions and yet grounded in dharma which literally means being conscious grounded in being awakened not just these are not permissions to indulge but these are be entitled but permissions to truly embody our higher awakening our higher self and I'm excited. How do these goddesses connect with um, the work you are doing?
0: Yes. So there's so many different directions that I want to go. I want to start with the reason that I loved how you Beautifully wrote things because I feel like even as you wrote the book, there's a very poetic flow to the elements of your words. And at the same time, I could just feel the energy, like your energy flowing through each word. What I love so much about this mentality and just bringing in the goddesses is that it made room and space for all of me. Whereas there's so many parts in my life, even going back to a child, my mom would do this thing where, you know, I'd be in a store and I'd look at things and I'd want to touch things and feel them. And she'd be like, Julie, you're always touching everything. And there was a lot of diminishment of me as a child like i was too much and i needed to tone it down a lot um and you talk about this next part too in your book you kind of step into this role as a woman as a, a wife as a mother as a homeowner and almost are looking to kind of take orders in a way and we kind of step into this other part and we ebb and flow through life in so many different roles and doing so many different things. And we're always looking to put a label on it. I am this, or I. there is no label. We're all of it at, one, at once. And the goddesses, the angels allow us to be all of it at once. Oh, you've
1: put it so well, Julie. Thank you. And And I think I was a child like you and I've grown into a woman who's too much. (laughs) And and the goddess container, this this theory, these teachings that I now share with the world have given me this unboxed uncontainment, like the word contentment. I now question that, like, I don't want to be content because that might be containment. I might be discontent because that's going to lead to the new me. I don't know if I want to be generous anymore that we've been told to be generous. Maybe I don't want to be generous anymore because maybe that's rescuing behavior or over niceness and kindness and politeness that we are trained to be. Maybe I want to be not generous because then that's going to bring up some authentic compassion within me rather than giving, giving, giving. And so these goddesses allowed me to be more, to be more and in a non-scripted kind of way. And they, that's so needed. And I think when we connect with a more invisible Energetic dimension, like the goddesses, like the angels, like the deities, which exist, uh, because this universe is very less known and the unknown is the bigger power that holds all of this. We ourselves can morph from just being this physical being with a conditioned mind with a specific set of roles that hold us in to being this this unboxed awareness this unboxed magical entity I mean, you know Julie, really, uh, the society makes us forget that yeah. so every morning couple of times the day i have to go inside and then touch that 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 divine pulse within me the divine heartbeat to lead a more and more inspired and miraculous yeah. life kind of you know
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're all in this state, like the collective humanity of evolving our consciousness. And I think we're all still trying to identify what that means. And this book so clearly, to your point before, if you're going to be living by your intuition every day, if you're going to just allow the divine to flow through you, you can't label any of it there's no label for it. You're just in the moment, you're in the now. And that is the essence of living in the present. That is the essence indeed. And for our um, day-to-day
1: question marks, like should I be leading this script of a woman the way it's been told by my culture and its universal patriarchy and expectations of women, whether you're from a traditional culture or a contemporary culture, they're always bearing down upon us. And not just women, but all feminine, gender-identified beings and people of uh, fluid or mixed gender we're just like morphed into like this corner to behave in a certain way. Otherwise, we are labeled as dangerous, unwanted, or just like wrong, period. There's yeah. something wrong with us. to to turn in with this intuition and then to find grace in that intuition, wisdom in that intuition, and even mythology and archetypes in that intuition that I've shared, allow us to have some vivid new options. So for example, Durga faced some sexual objectification, like in timelessness and mythology, and her response was not silence or um, compliance and instead she roared and she said yep I'm beautiful yep I'm sexy but I've not been born to pleasure you yes I've been born to destroy your ignorance so you know it gives me power thinking of these bold goddesses
0: Well, what's really fascinating is I've had this conversation with so many different girlfriends of mine and the story that you just told really, um, this came up for me when I was reading the book. Other women and I have both kind of openly shared, sometimes we feel like we've put on some weight subconsciously to not be objectified or in some cases to not cheat. And I think it's very, very powerful the way that you talk about things within the book, because instead of finding ways to overcompensate within ourselves through food or different addictions or different outlets, to lessen ourselves. It's not about lessening ourselves anymore whatsoever. It's about fully stepping into our power. How do we do that? That's that's a great insight and a great question,
1: leads into a great question. And I want to talk about Goddess Lakshmi right now. And she's the goddess of sensuality, beauty, sexuality, prosperity, abundance, everything that makes our life Full, wholesome, worthy, playful, enjoyable. Like it's like if Durga shows up to help us survive, then Goddess Lakshmi shows us how to thrive. And then Goddess's own mythology, here's how she faced with some shadow. She she was living in like the mythological heavens and making life really happen for those folks there except that she felt through some circumstances that transpired, she felt invisible. She felt taken for granted. She felt like tossed. And so she just silently left. She just left and she disappeared into the ocean of consciousness, which means she retreated within herself. Okay. She was no longer pandering and, and, And performing and, you know, um, either fulfilling someone else's addiction or then addicting herself to deal with the rejection or deal with the shadow. She just went inwards. That's what it really means. And then when she re-emerges from the ocean, literally, we hear of this like colossal moon like lotus in which she's sitting and the butterflies who had disappeared with her return with her. And she sees this new partner. Among thousands of eyes that were hoping that she'll they'll she'll pick them and make their life great, she saw this one pair of eyes which only sh- only reflected back love, unconditional acceptance and unconditional respect, like it didn't want anything from her. it was just matching her 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 own state of self-love, and she puts a garland around him and he becomes her divine. Escort known as Vishnu in the Hindu mythology Vishnu and Lakshmi go together.
0: Three quick announcements. Our new kids podcast begins January first. If your child would like to be on the show to ask me a question, share a spiritual encounter, or talk about their gifts, message me on Instagram at AngelPodcast. Also, it's not too late to take my new course with brand new content called Find Your Purpose in 30 Days. Find the clarity, direction, and roadmap you've been searching for in my brand new course, Find Your Purpose in 30 Days. Sign up today at theangelmedium.com. Lastly, the winner of this month's free reading with me is in the show notes. Leave a five-star positive review of my podcast or book, and you could be next month's winner.
1: And I want to connect this mythology to what you asked about. I have found in my years of being a spiritual teacher and then me being a woman and a wife and, and someone who's dealt with the ups and downs of relationships and two marriages and all of that, I came to this realization that unless we go inwards and recalibrate what self-respect really means, what does it look like internally, and it won't show up externally, unless we withdraw into this more detached witnessing space to look at like what's happening where there is stuff out of control for us, like the weight has gained or, or, you know, there's sexual objectification or there's food out there that I'm addicted to. Once we withdraw in and connect with her own goddess essence, which Lakshmi did, that I'm not just this entity who lives in this place called the Hindu heaven, and I'm making it happen for people and they're not treating like she went beyond the story. Into her greater truth, and then, when she um hypothetically reemerges in the mythology and finds this new partner waiting for her, who is her equal, not her superior, not her inferior, but she's mirrored her love, her self respect, her self honor is truly mirrored, and she's supposed to be still with that partner becoming like a divine um force, you know a coupled force for us. This, I feel, is necessary. Otherwise, food will be our go-to thing. Sex may be our go-to thing. Incessant shopping may be our go-to thing to fill that gap. And instead, I find in Lakshmi this willingness to just, just separate, to step back, to detach from from what's happening to then become sovereign once again within. And I've used this to stop trying to fix things or internalize the problem and then, you know, stuff my mouth with uh, placatives. Instead, I've just been with it. And I keep remembering one thing. The goddess wants me. This pain is not coming to me to hurt me. It has come for me to grow from it, to bring in more light. Who am I going to become? after I have introspected and meditated and breathed, breathed through this pain, and it's been positive every time.
0: Oh, I want to dive into, you talk about the goddess that represents power, and you talk about how power, and it's not a power where we're not humble. You also say that we should trust that we're going to be shown when to be generous, when to be what the divine needs us to be in that moment. But that power is almost this energy, this essence, and it in, it chooses to incarnate in us. Explain this because I am not explaining it as well as you do. Well, I'll attempt
1: because I always feel like the goddess makes me eloquent or makes me completely completely jaw-droppingly clumsy either way she's there and the power either wants us to be clumsy or amazingly eloquent but that power is very benign uh, she is feminine the power in um Uh, in the goddess tradition, is feminine, interestingly. And so the masculinized version of power, which is very, I'm going to go it alone, I'm going to make it, it's competitive, and it invariably leaves us a bit isolated as well as arrogant. On the contrary, the power that is feminine and divine is, um, is coalition building, it is harmonious, but at the same time, it is unapologetic. Its power unto itself, and this power can flow towards not just uh, not just succeeding, but even being okay with not succeeding. This power can support us in uh, achieving or letting go, in uh, in uh, holding on or detaching, uh, in being courageous or being or adapting and forgiving in 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 facing something or totally being like indifferent to it for everything we need power and so this power is not just this go 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 you must achieve you must win every battle of life you must make it in like you know some version of the ego making it and I've used in my own life this power about hey Shunya what if What if you're just living by yourself in the Himalayas, in the Mount Everest, in a tiny cottage by yourself and, you know, you and your dogs, of course. And like, what's going to be that like? And I'm like, well, I'll have my power intact. And that feeling just gives me the sense of being like I can be and become anything or unbecome anything. And I'm still going to be powerful. Does that, you know, does that make
0: sense what I'm trying? Am I being eloquent? Of course, of course, of course, I'm wondering too, why does the power want to come and incarnate in us?
1: Because we are no different from her, mm. from them, and because we are not just the the daughters and children of the goddess, but we are the sleeping goddesses ourselves mm. this whole this whole world. This phenomenal world is really a school for us to wake up to this angelic, uh, divine, goddess capacities. We first experience this as grace, we experience this as guidance. And that's like, you know, you're beginning to uh, really now know that you're not alone and your little ego doesn't have to make it all happen and it can surrender and ask and be helped. And that's like, you know, big opening. And then we can also channel their wisdom. And finally, what's really happening here, what's really happening is that that angelic goddess deity is stirring within us. And so she is compared to the, our own higher self. So there is like this progressive intimacy with this divine feminine power, the Shakti, this energy, and we, we approach it kind of academically, then more emotionally, spiritually, and then boom. Gosh, I'm more powerful than I imagined.
0: <laughs> so yeah. as the goddesses embody us and we are each them, it's not just that we're one goddess. We're all of them at the same time. Absolutely, and 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 when I use the term goddess,
1: I wanna, and I've mentioned that in my book, and I wanna remind our listeners that I just happen to come from India, so I am using the terms Durga, Lakshmi, Saraswati, but you can bring in goddesses from your culture, Mother Mary. You know, uh, these this this concept is what is more important than the name or the culture or what they look like, what the invitation is to connect what is eternal and not what is cultural or temporary or, you know, wrapped in this garment or that garment. This is really connecting with it because I have found that my students um, who have been with me because I've been doing these teachings verbally for more than a decade. And this is now the books coming out they've become closer to the goddess of their version because it's really one truth that appears in many forms, many names, and many blessings. And it's, that's the beauty of it. You know, we don't have one flower on earth. We have billions of flowers, but it's really one truth that's expressing itself through these flowers. And that's the beauty of it. It's the variety and the fun and the comfort. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I hope that everybody as they're listening to feels this just divine oneness energy because as i was reading the book as i listened to you talk i listened to a couple of your podcast episodes i can just feel the high vibration that you emit and it's just such a yummy energy you talk about how your mom really kind of brought this in for you and how she was passing she um was kind of transitioning herself and i just want to read this one paragraph you put my mother a true roaring one was the first goddess teacher caring but strong compassionate yet fierce in her convictions generous but not beyond her own sovereign boundaries she raised my sister and me with a lion-hearted spirit in the indian in the india of the 1960s even then most of society was estranged from its spiritual roots and entrenched in an institutionalized patriarchy My mom, supported by ultra-progressive and loving husband, my father, undeterred and unintimidated by anyone or anything, taught us how to feel good in our own skin and appreciate our female bodies, and to feel enough in who we are, as we are. On her deathbed, she said, Don't forget, goddess is with you, always looking out for you. She lives within you. You will never be alone. When you have no one else, not even me, you will have the goddess in your heart just call out to her. This part just made me cry. Losing our moms, I think, is one of the hardest things that we can go through in life. And you talk about this story continuing and how you took her words to heart and implemented them in your own life. Can you tell that story? I do want to say that you have such a beautiful voice and tender heart. And as you
1: read that passage, which had made me cry writing it, I experienced tears all over again. Um, Yeah, it must have been that I'm going to be talking about roaring goddesses within ourselves and in this cosmos. And that's why I was birthed from the womb of one. And she was a significantly distinguished person. I've never met a woman like her. And she's such a diva. And <laughs> in the short time that I spent with her, she, um, I mean, literally her last words too were a reminder of the goddess. That's why I've dedicated this book to, the, to her. And um, I cried gobs writing this book because it was also very healing for me to go back to my mother's memory. 45 years hence and you know earlier and kind of be grateful for the short time we spent together and how she is like there in the angel realm protecting me and helping me write this book and um, something she did was she would tell me these bedtime stories of goddesses being triumphant and these stories were interesting um, mystical stories where the goddess stories were populated with characters like other gods, angels, and even humans, and the good humans, and the confused humans, and some beasts, and some, you know, and even the demons. It was like a very allegorical, all of it. And sometimes they were too much, Julie, and I would say, Mom, tell me the story of that rabbit or that (laughs) doggy. And she'd insist on telling me the goddess stories and sometimes it riled me up. Like I'd like start roaring like a little goddess and say, and then the goddess said, I'm hardly <laughs> pacifying a child to bed. I think she was awakening me, Julie.
0: Yeah.
1: I think she was planting seeds in me because she may have known that she won't be around. And when I face those real demons outside me, as in those who obstructed my path just because I'm a woman or those who you know would backstab you as we all have those people in our life and then worse when I found my inner demons where I self-abandoned myself for a while there or when I didn't believe in myself or when I didn't stand up for myself and I suffocated my true voice I'm so glad I had those stories
0: yeah yeah One of the things that happened for me as I was reading the book, too, is just this energy of wanting to roar, wanting to shout, wanting to use my voice loudly to take up more space to not diminish, but to stand out and and just really use the vocal cords to amplify. How can using our voices help us step into this energy of the goddess? By really understanding
1: that this voice is uh, is an expression of our soul, which has inherent connections with the goddess angelic dimension, bottom line. And I'm not surprised that you had this experience. And in fact, in the process of writing it, I thought I was already a roaring woman. And now, gosh, I mean, I've escalated mm-hmm. my own power, my own expression, my own, um, you know, my own uh, ability to be really forthright and and yet kind of effective. Not forthright to push people away or forthright to be cantankerous, but forthright in what I want to say my opinions what I want to see happen unapologetic um, unapologetic and it's like whoa and like the writing that book did that reading this book by people who are reading its early copy like you it's happening so I really feel it's a goddess um re re reinvigorating our voice and see there are two versions of the voice one is what we speak to others But that inner voice that we speak to ourselves, that gets so clarified and its attunement increases so much that it becomes insistent that we deserve more and better and we will not put up with even subtle disrespect or lack of self-worth. And I think that's what's happening. You already have. Um, Because I I know the work you're doing, such a powerful voice. But as a result of reading this book, it is said that if you read her stories, as you did through this book, you come into bondage of the goddess dimension. And then they, in a good sense, like they use you, as the angels do, as a vehicle for the upliftment of consciousness of all beings. Like they will um, and I felt the same happen with me as I write her stories or speak it in my Audible version or talk about it in podcasts. I get this blast of Shakti and I feel like doors are opening and the and the unworthy ones are closing slam shut and like I'm being driven towards a whole new. Avatar of my own self. So, yeah. To yeah.
0: So. When I bring through the angels, all the different angels have different roles and responsibilities and how they work with us. And the seraphim, I'm very visual too. They always show me this realm of where they are on the other side. Um, The seraphim said that they're coming in at this moment in history in humankind in order to help raise us, help bring the planet into this new earth, this new vibration lift the consciousness and it's really interesting because it's hard sometimes to put into words what they're trying to say but the seraphim um, you're right there are men on the other side but it's of a very female embodied energy and they always talk about beauty, but beauty does not mean to them what beauty means to us. Beauty is this essence where it's this realm where everything is perfect, just as it is, and we can really step into our fullest truth. And I feel like for everybody listening, reading this book helps bring you into the essence of that realm of the seraphim because that, them saying we're one in the same. I call them the seraphim. You call them the goddesses, but I feel like it's the same realm that we're talking about. Oh, hundred percent,
1: hundred percent.
0: And what you're talking about and their
1: explanation of what beauty really is, is then really an invitation to step into your authenticity and step into radical acceptance of like you said, or as they told you, that things as they are, where my wrinkles or my, even some of my shadow or confusions, you know, it's okay. There is no need to be shamed and blamed. And there is a beauty in accepting that. And as you were talking I could feel this, like this okayness that surrounds us when we connect with this, this pure light kind of realm. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. What you also talk about in the book is that in order to embody the spirit and really bring out the goddess from within yourself, that comes through understanding the stories of the goddesses themselves, and so I was wondering if you could tell us one or two stories, your favorite stories about the goddesses. They're they're almost like intense. Yeah, they're not
1: they're not beautiful or ornamental, ornamented as you read. They 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 pinch you somewhere because they remind you of what is not beautiful with our realm. And, but then what is beautiful is how they shape it, how they encounter it, how they face it.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's a very, very, very intense, uh, my favorite, my favorite story is a very intense story, which I can't believe my mother told an eight or nine-year-old that story (laughs) with all the drama (laughs) and theatrics because she was into drama too and theater and so the story goes like this: that there is a human princess, and she is the daughter of the king and queen of the Himalayas, which are mountains in India and Nepal, the highest mountains of the world. She was their daughter, and um, she, when she was born, she told her parents, so there was something extraordinary about her, and she they heard this voice echo all over the world, which said, "I am really the goddess." And I'm choosing to be born in your family because you've been you've been praying to me to have a child. And but I'm sure I'm going to stay with you as long as you love, as long as you honor me and respect me. And and so they said, sure. And but then as time wore on, they forgot. It's like, you know, and this this little piece is about how we all remember that there's something divine about us. And even little children are connected to the angel goddesses kind of dimension. They have like perceptions of it and then they forget as the mind becomes more worldly gradually. So the daughter had a normal childhood growing up as an entitled princess, spoiled princess. And the parents also forgot until she started having the spiritual awakening and she started yearning to marry God. Like, you know, so her name was Shakti and God was Shiva, a Hindu God. And he's supposed to, he's hes a God that's everywhere, but he would occasionally show up in his humanized avatar as a yogi meditating silently in the, you know, far away, snowed out caves, hard to find. But she set out on a quest for him and then she wanted to marry him and she like, persuaded him. and. And it felt like a human princess was persuading this yogi, the stern yogi. And initially he said, go away. But then he knew that she's goddess and she's his equal, his other half. And he said, yes, I'll marry you. But the parents, they they threw a fit. You can't marry him. He just wears a snake around his neck. And he wears just like a lion skin around his body. He doesn't have a palace, a castle, but she insisted. And she had strong determination as goddess women do. And so they agreed. But then she left and she, was, she made a little house for herself in the mountains, under the tree, you know, in the snow and whatever was her life. Later, she saw that a lot of celestial beings all dressed up were going somewhere because she was high up in the mountain, she could see. And so she asked the moon god and his two wives, where are you going all dressed up? And they said, oh, didn't you know, your dad has organized this great, amazing fire ritual and everybody who's anybody on this planet have been invited. So we're going, I'll see you there. And then she realized that she and her partner, Shiva, had not received an invitation. And she really got mad at her parents, like sometimes we do. And she felt really disrespected. But she said, you know, I'll give them the benefit of doubt and I'll talk to them. Uh, Her partner said, don't go. They're not worthy of you questioning them. She's like, no, I'm going to (laughs) go. So she went and she asked her parents. And her father said, you know, she said, did you forget? Is the invitation, did it get lost? And he goes, "No, I didn't invite you it's It's sad enough that you married that that you know hermit uh who has no 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 nothing to his name and now to invite him uh you know amongst my amazing guest list, I don't think so, but now that you're here." um you know please ask your mom to find you some outfits to wear because it's embarrassing the way you've shown up like a yogini dressed in like very simple clothes and flowers as her ornament that was it in that moment of rage she remembered that she was not just a girl or a woman pleading for respect but she was the goddess she was shakti herself and then she said and you know he was being so She was like dictating terms to that body that he knew as daughter. He He couldn't see her spirit. And so she says, this body that you pampered at one time and then you rejected and abandoned and made invisible and disrespected at another time. This is that bond between us and I'm going to burn this body. And at that time, a flame erupted from her, the flame of power and the body fell like a heap on the ground and she disappeared. Of course, we meet with Shiva later as God and goddess, but that body was not there anymore and that and, and her father and mother, who were busy being all better than thou and you know how could you do this and you embarrass us but somewhere they manipulated and loved their daughter, and there she lay in a burning heat, that so-called daughter. And this is a really grotesque story, really. But yet it was so powerful for me as a girl child, because I learned to then burn so it's all symbolic, it's allegorical, and I'm not telling you to ignite your being, but you can but you can burn away those threads of attachment and affection and obligations that let you continue to want to respect from someone who is unable to give you respect. Mm -hmm. And to come back into your true essence with a blazing fierce attitude of being a true goddess. And believe it or not, I have literally burned to ashes um, expectations and agreements and obligations that once held me to something and then became the very portal for disrespect. At some level. And this story allows me to then walk light, walk clear, and walk truly in my goddess independence, really, really holding my self respect and self honor as a very divine value within me, not an afterthought.
0: There's so much in there that is so beautiful. So, how did you as a child take these stories and learn to? what was that like? Because you said that was like a little overwhelming, these stories. Um, It was. Yeah. I mean, probably my
1: mother knew she wouldn't live long enough because she had a congenital heart condition. So she had a weak heart and she would have these fainting spells from childhood onwards. So probably she knew, she knew, uh, you know, that she wouldn't live long enough. So she was like, had no option. Maybe she would have shared this to me with me at age 15 yeah but uh, but she you know she didn't maybe put it in such a drastic terms maybe she simplified them for me back then but i'll give you an example of how i use this which will help people translate this into their life i have a worldwide following of students and seekers and you know we live stream and we use technology to reach students all over the continent but i had this one little small place a physical location within California where I am, where I would, you know, drive when somebody would drive me a couple of times a week to go there. And and it would be an assembly of people who wanted to meet me in person. So I'm a woman of commitment. That's what goddess women do. And so I would show up, come rain, come hail, I'd show up. But I found that there was a diminishing amount of students who were actually waiting for me physically. More and more of them were, were, were waiting for me you know anxiously online so it was a mark of you know it was a a sign of a changing trend where people want to be more online they don't want to be in the traffic it's understandable but one day when i walked in i saw a uh, i saw that the like 90% of people were online and only 10% were there but i had been showing up i had been driving 40 minutes each, you know, or at least being driven 40 minutes each way. And that's a lot of time and commitment. And that's it. Like I had that moment of, no, this is not gonna work. This is not, this is a two-way street. It can't be a one-way street. And so I I ignited that. I, I lit fire to that agreement that we're going to all be this one cozy, physically meeting family of teacher and students. And I said, sorry, I spoke to them. I said, I have experienced something. I'm going to honor that. I'll get back to you within a month because I wanted to just be in that fire of like, what am I doing here? What's going on here? You know, and then I told them it's over. It's over. After so many years, a decade or more of like meeting, it's over. And then there was crying and wailing and persuasion and letters and flowers and guilt dripping and sorries and we need you and we can't be with you and da-da-da. It's like, sorry, it's changed. The agreements are changed. And now as I teach all over the world, if they want to be with me, they have to join me. They travel to this part of the country in that part of the world. To be with me because I am reowning a different version of myself, no longer available. Just because I made a commitment, um, it's not like I can't change it, that I can't burn that version of reality or that relationship. And, you know, um, I did this out of compassion because the goddess doesn't do things from anger. That rage is more like the rage is needed to clean up things, to clean up old agreements, to clean up, to burn away those old um, ad hoc arrangements that our ego gets comfortable in. And and maybe this will help to understand how I bring these stories into real life for myself and for uh, my readers and students worldwide.
0: I love that. I love that. Your book for me... Really brought a new aspect of what it is to live in the present moment, to just be, to accept all parts of yourself, to surrender to the mystery of whatever is coming in in life. Um, to your point before, to really step back into yourself, take that time for yourself to connect with your intuition, and then reemerge with these beautiful directions that are divinely inspired. You know, the book came out already, right? In July. It's coming. It got delayed.
1: And it's coming out in just a few weeks. September 6th, it's coming out.
0: September 6th. But it's
1: available for pre-order. Yeah.
0: Okay. Please tell us, Shonya, um, where everybody can find you, where they can find your book. The book is Roar Like a Goddess. Roar Like a Goddess is available
1: at the time you're listening to this, pretty much in any bookstore that you hang to buy books and read books and in libraries and stuff. And then you can find me on my two websites, AwakenedSelf.com and by my name, AcharyaShunya.com. And yeah, and on social handles by my name, AcharyaShunya.
0: We'll put all that information in the show notes below. But thank you so much um, for the time you took to put this all into words for the teachings that you're bringing to the world and your presence of being here today. Thank you so much. Of course.